Welcome to the Life Point Church podcast. And so I want to open up with a question this morning is how or what are you the most passionate about? Everyone has passions. What, what would you say you're the most passionate about? So there's something that pops in your head, and it's usually the things that, that we think are the right answers. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm passionate about God, yeah, or, or my wife, or, but how would you prove it? How would you really prove it? Well, we started looking last week in the book of Exodus, all the way back in the Old Testament, and the context of the book of, book of Exodus is that God brought his people out of actual slavery in Egypt with miraculous fashion. And he brought them out and he was giving them a land. See, they had been slaves for 430 years. So they had uh, no laws of their own. They had no um, anything of their own. They owned nothing. A slave owns nothing. They, They couldn't speak for themselves, worship for themselves. So for 430 years, they were in bondage and God shows up and and leads them out of that bondage and he's leading them to what the Bible says is their promised land. And so he leads them out and they go into the wilderness on the way to that promised land. And while they were in the wilderness, about three months into this migration, um, God calls out to them at Mount Sinai and he calls their leader Moses up and he's going to speak to him and he's going to uh, share his, his um, desire, his destiny for their lives. And so I want, to, I want to pick up there in Exodus chapter 20 and it says, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning, the sounds of the trumpets and the smoke coming from the mountains. And when they saw it, they trembled and they started to stand off. Then they said to Moses, will you speak with us and we will hear, but don't let God speak to us or we feel like we will die. Verse 20, so Moses said, don't fear, God has come to test. Everyone say test. Um, how many like tests? Yeah, me, none of us like tests. Uh, a better word than the word test there is prove. That's why I asked you a moment ago, how would you prove your passion? So God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove to you. I'm going to let you prove to me. And the Bible says, um, I'm going to prove in that his fear, reverence is a better word, may be before you so you won't what? Sin. God wants to prove some things in your life so you won't fall into sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the darkness where God was. Now, Deuteronomy tells us that Moses was actually up there for like 40 days. So he's up there for like 40 days, and while he's there in this dramatic fashion with the smoke and the thunder and the people are like, you go talk to God, just tell us what he said. And so Moses, while he's there, gets what the Hebrew language says are the 10 matters or the 10 words. Exodus later says they're the 10 commandments. So what do those Ten Commandments have to do with us today? Well, I believe that those Ten Commandments are really life principles. And they are a principle. Here's what a principle is. It's a foundational truth that creates a behavior system for us or a belief system for us. So remember, they, they had no really belief system. They had really no pattern of how to live because they were slaves. Now God brings them out, delivers them, is about to give them their own land that they did not have, and God's giving them instructions and principles of how to live while they are coming into the promised land. Now, I, I want to stop here because there's something really important for us. God did not give them those Ten Commandments while they were in bondage. He gave them to them after they were out. 
Here's what that means for us. Romans chapter 6 says that you and I at one point were slaves to sin. We were in bondage to sin. Well, God did not give us that. He didn't give that to them while they were in slavery because if you kept those commandments, it wouldn't save you. He delivered them, then he gave them these principles so to make their life better. It's the same for us. The, the power of Christ, the work of Christ, your faith in the delivering power of Jesus is what delivers you, not keeping a list of rules. So this is the work of grace. If, if, it was upon their, if it was upon their perfection, he would have given them those principles while they were in bondage. But he delivered them, then he gave them to them and said, this, this will let you live above sin. This, this will let you live by these principles for behavior and belief. It's the same thing in our life. It was the power of Jesus and only the power of Jesus that delivered you and me from the power of sin. It wasn't how good you were. But then he gives us his word for us to live by, to live a better life. So y'all got that? So here's the series we're in. It's called The List because that was the original top 10 list that God gave. And so I'm just gonna, for the next few weeks, walk through those, these commandments and tell you the principles behind them because they still apply today. They still apply today. Um, let's go back to Exodus chapter 20, the first few verses. It says, and so God spoke all these words He's talking about what he was saying to Moses. And he said, I'm the God, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of that bondage. He's identifying himself. I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who delivered you. I am the one who broke the power of slavery over your life. And he said, so here's the first commandment I give you. Don't have another God before me. Beside me, behind me, no other gods before me. And we looked at this principle last week and said, this is the principle, uh, it's the power of priority, of us having the right, and the highest priority is God above all things. And I said, here's how we prove that God's above all things. It's where we spend our time, it's where we spend our talents, it's where we spend our treasure. We even started looking about how we sow and how we give and how we do of our treasure. But if God is really, really, really the highest priority of our life, our time, our talents, our energies, our efforts, our giving, all of that is under, he's, he's top priority above everything. That's the principle of the first commandment. Let's keep reading. Verse four. He goes on, he says, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image that has any likeness of anything that might be in heaven, on earth, even in the water below. And then he goes on and he says, look at these few verses here. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. I mean, no, if you bow down to it, you're going to be locked into serving it. And he says, I'm the Lord your God and I am what? Jealous. He's not jealous of you. He is jealous for you. And he said, I will actually visit iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation, and I'll show mercy to thousands who love and keep my commandments. Here's the principle of the second commandment. It's passion. The first one is priority. The second one is passion. So here's my title today, the importance of your passion. Everyone say passion. So passion follows priority. And so this is the second commandment uh, and the principle behind it, the life principle behind it. God, God's called them out. He says, I'm, I'm the Lord that delivered you. You couldn't deliver yourself. I'm the God and Lord of your life. I should be the priority of your life. And not only the priority of your life, I should be the passion of your life. And so let's make some points about that. And here's, here's the first point if you're taking notes. Whatever has your passion gets your worship. 
Whatever it is that has your passion in your life gets your worship. Now, when I say worship, I don't mean the 20 minutes of songs we just did. That's part of worship. But worship is a lifestyle. So I would say it this way. A good way to understand passion would be like, that, would be like this. If something has your passion, first of all, it, it, it's got your attention. The things in your life that, that, are, that you're passionate about actually have your attention or your focus. The things in your life that have your passion have your affection or they've got your heart. The things in your life that has your passion, they also have your allegiance or your commitment. So what we worship in life is we could tell by where our, our, our attention is, our allegiance is, and our affection is. Now, at this time, you have to remember that that God's children, the children of Israel, came out of a region and a culture that was full of carved images. They worshiped these carved images, whether they were wooden, stone, whatever they might be. And they were going into a land that God was giving them that was full of these worship, these idols that were everywhere. And God said, don't you make one of those idols because that's not the God that delivered you. How many know it's ridiculous to worship something you create? We worship the creator. Is it creator or creator? Creator sounds better. We'll just stick with that. But in our day and age, it's, it would be really strange for us to in any way have a carved image. So the idols that you and I would have would be a little bit different, but we still have them today. And so really what, the, what this second commandment forbid was idolatry. It was, a for, it, it was God forbidden them to have any form, any type of idolatry. And so here's what an idol is. An idol is anything that you worship other than God. It's something in your life that you look to to fulfill your own life more than you look to God. That's what idolatry is. And it's alive today as much as it was then. It, it's just in a little bit different form. We, we don't have little wooden, most of us don't have little wooden idols. Uh, and there are some religions, there are, 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 are religions and traditions that, that, that there are some of that. But what God is saying is in our day and age, it's the things that have our attention. It's the things that have our affection. It's the things that have our allegiance. And I like what Billy said a moment ago. Some of those things, even the distractions in our life, it doesn't mean they're bad things sometimes, but they can be distractions. So it doesn't even mean sometimes that they're evil things. They can be good things keeping you from the great things. And here's the deal. Anything in your life and my life can absolutely become an idol. So just to help you, I, I, I put a few of these things down. And you realize that none of these things in right measure and in right priority are actually evil things. But they can become things that distract you from what? Your passion and your worship. Because that's really what God was saying. Above all things, I need to be the priority. And second of all, don't be following other images because I also have to be your passion. So whatever is the passion of your life becomes the worship of your life. Whatever is the passion of my life is where my worship is. And so let, let me just throw a few of these out there to you. And you can evaluate your own life and see if any of these things uh, might be or could become an idol. Here's one. How about this? You know, relationships people can actually become an idol in our life. We can overemphasize relationships. We can overemphasize our desire for a relationship. You might be a single person and you might be so um, uh, focused on finding the one that it can actually become a distraction to your passion in life. 
Actually, Paul said it this way. He said, hey, it's better to what? Be single. It's better to be single. He said, hey, if you're burning with passion, get married. But hey, to really, really serve God and serve the purposes of God, that's what Paul said. Now, God's not telling you you have to be single. But what I'm saying is you can get relationships out of sync in your life, and it can be such a distraction that that's all you think about. It can steal your passion. And so what happens sometimes is we will make a lot of relationship mistakes just because that's such a, we want that so much in our life. Now, God wants to give you the desires of your heart, but he wants to bless you in the right way. But sometimes it, it leads to a distraction in our life. And we see somebody who, I'm not picking on single people, but you, if you're a single person, guess what? You, you, you could get way off track if it's not in the right. And it can happen to married people too. But people, how about this money? That's an obvious one, right? Nothing wrong with money. We understand that. God wants to bless you. He wants you to be blessed people. But man, the pursuit of money, I always say this, God doesn't have a problem if you've got money, but he has a problem if money's got you. Because we know as believers, no matter how much money or blessing we have, it's money with a mission. But the pursuit of money and the pursuit of materialistic things and all that that follows can become a passion in your life. And if it becomes the passion in your life, guess what? It can become an idol. I, I can't tell you how many times over the years that we have um, helped people understand uh, the principles of the kingdom and tithing and giving, what we talked about. We've even shared with people. Uh, we've even, I, I remember one time even speaking to someone and said, I see God bringing millions of dollars into your life. God told me to tell them. And it happened. I haven't seen him in church since. That means it becomes an idol. Are you all with me? Yeah. Now that can happen to any, any of us. So we have to understand these th the place these things have in our lives. How about this one? Hobbies. Now God doesn't have one problem with you having a hobby. But man, hobbies can become... Hobbies cost money, right? Especially... Guys, our hobbies are expensive, right? They're just bigger toys, right? They're more expensive toys than when we, we were little. But God doesn't have a problem with you having hobbies, but man, they can get out of sync to where now it's taking your money and it's taking your time and all of a sudden you're out of church and all of a sudden you're not spending time with him and he doesn't become the passion of your life. So it can be money, it can become hobbies. In our, and please understand, he doesn't have a problem with your hobbies. I, I, I think those are healthy. But when they start stealing the passion of your life, okay, you don't like that list? How about this? Sometimes education, and once again, nothing wrong with education, but we can get so consumed with being educated and getting our degrees to give us, you know, an importance that it, it can be still our passion. It still is a priority of our life. Now, we should all be educated. I'm just saying we put such an emphasis on that that what if, what if chasing that de degree kept you from the will of God that God had for your life? We put a lot of pressure on our, on our kids. You know, when my daughter graduated, she took some time off of school, and it was the best thing to figure out what God wanted her to do instead of just chasing a degree. This is what happens in our country. We chase a degree because we want a certain amount of money, and we're miserable most of the rest of our lives. And we don't live with purpose. We live for a paycheck. Still our passion. You didn't like that one either. Let me, let me give you. I got a few more on the list here. I said, God, these people need help. He gave me a list, and I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> How about this one, security? We can be so consumed with making sure our life is so secure that we stop trusting God. Remember, part of idolatry is to trust something else for our provision, for our satisfaction, for our fulfillment. And it can become, we have to find our security in him. So we find security in a lot of these other things, and it steals our 
passion from God. And if it has our passion, it has our worship, it's idolatry. A couple more on the list. Our careers can be that way. Careers turn into our ambitions. God wants you to have a great career. I'm just saying we can be so focused on these things that we can say God is the priority and we can say that God is the passion of our lives, but often he's not. A couple more. How about this? Um, material possessions, I think that speaks for itself. Status, power, prestige, influence. It, it, and so the essence of idolatry is, is self. I heard someone say it this way, that the human heart is an idol factory. We have a lot of idols. Now, what, what I want you to know from this is the things we focus on is what we give our heart to. And what we give our heart to always gets our commitment. And we do what verse five says, we bow to it, and when we start bowing, we serve it. We start serving it. And that's the essence of what God was saying. I brought you out of bondage. I'm heading you into the promises of God. And so I need to give you some principles to live by. And one is God's the priority. His word is priority. And your passion, he has to be, uh, our, he has to be the most important passion in our lives because that's what we will worship. Second thing I want you to know today is this, that God is extremely jealous for your passion. Now, he's not jealous of you. He is absolutely jealous for you. Look what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter four. It says, take heed. That means pay attention, evaluate yourself, or you're gonna forget the covenant that you have with God, the God who made you. And here's how we lose it. We start to make for ourselves images in the form of anything which the Lord God has forbidden in our lives. For the Lord God is a consuming fire. He is a what? Jealous God. Now, as I mentioned, God does not have a problem with you having a hobby. But God does have a problem if that hobby steals his place in your life. He's jealous of your hobby if your hobby gets elevated. Yeah. And no one would walk up and just like, I'm just going to spend all my time on this hobby. But it, it happens in a subtle fashion, these other pursuits. And so, but the Bible is very clear. It says God's a consuming God. He is a God that is jealous of you. Remember, he has the right to be because he just broke the power of bondage for, that was there for 430 years and miraculously brought them out and is bringing them into their own land. They didn't have their own land. They didn't have their own ways. They didn't have their own uh, ways of doing life for their own purpose. They didn't have anything. They were slaves. And at one time, you were a slave to sin and you did not have the power to live free from it. And you did not have the power and purpose to follow God. You didn't because you were a slave. And God says, I broke that so I should have the right to be jealous over your life. That's why he's a consuming God. We were created to worship God and God alone. Um, Actually, we could say it this way, that you were made for God and the world was made for you. In other words, you were made to fellowship with God and he gave the world, the world for you to enjoy. But worshiping him alone, God's a jealous God. That's how God looks at these things. Actually, if you look at that word in the Hebrew language, it's actually a name for God, which I'm sure I'm not gonna pronounce it right. It is spelled Q-A-N-N-A. -N -N -A. I would pronounce it this way, Quana. It means this, a God who is jealous is among you. It means this, he is a jealous God. He is so deeply in love with you that he wants worship and fellowship with you and you alone. That's what it means. It's actually one of his names, that he is jealous among you. It actually, you could interpret it this way, to become intensely red. That means he's so deeply focused on you. He's so deeply in love with you. It's you alone that he wants. 
It's the same root word as the word zealous, which means to pursue. So we could say it this way. The easiest way to tell what someone is passionate about is what they are what? Pursuing. How do you know God's jealous for you? Because he keeps constantly and consistently pursuing you. How would I know what you are most passionate about? What you pursue. And the Bible says very clearly, he's the God who is jealous. He doesn't want to share you. No, he doesn't care if you're having a, a great career, but he doesn't want to compete with your career. Right. He wants you to have great relationships, but he doesn't want to compete with those relationships. He, 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 he does, he, he's fine with you having these things in your life, but he doesn't want to compete with those things. Actually, the Bible says it this way. Jesus said this, this way a little bit later. If you pursue those things, I'll add the other stuff. If you pursue me above all things and seek me above all things, I'll bless your career. I'll bless you with hobbies. I'll bless you with stuff. He said, that's the way to do it. But we got to keep, but we seek the stuff and we live in frustration because we're not seeking him. He can't just be another stuff on your list. He can't be another item in your life. Actually, I would say it this too. I can't just make Jesus another part on the wheel of my life. He's just not another purpose in my life. He's not another, he's not another agenda item on my to-do list. He has to be above the list. He made the original list is what we're talking about. But he's jealous because wherever your passion is, your worship follows. And he's very, very jealous of that. Now, let's read on and get to the last point here. Um, Exodus goes on in chapter 32, and while Moses was up on Sinai, the Bible says the people become very, very restless. They didn't think he was coming down because he was up there for 40 days. They were impatient. They were restless. They had come out of everything they knew as normal, and they were on the edge of going into their new normal, going into the promised land, but all of a sudden Moses has disappeared up into this cloud of smoke, and while he's up there, um, they make themselves a god. They take their jewelry, they form it into the form of a calf. But I've always wondered, why a calf? I don't have an answer for you. But they, they formed it in, because here's what they said. A God brought us out of Egypt, and we want something that we can look at to say that's what did it. And so Aaron gave in to them, and they made this calf. And so God speaks in chapter 32, and it says this, and God said to Moses, he's giving them these commandments. He's explaining these commandments. He's saying, you go back and give these life principles. And all of a sudden, God stops and says, Moses, go get down. Look what it says, for your people. This is kind of like when you and your wife were talking about your kids. When my girls are awesome, they're my kids. When they misbehave, they act like their mother, right? Your kids, my wife say, you know what your daughter did? It's that moment God says, guess what? Your people, not, not, weren't God's people at this moment. God says, Moses, your people, go get down because you, look what it says. Your people that you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. See, these things in our life that are distractions can corrupt our worship. And God goes on and he says, here's what happened. They turned aside quickly from the way that I commanded them and they made a golden calf or a molded calf and they worshiped it and they sacrificed to it just like they had seen in Egypt. Listen, we cannot take our cues for worship from the world around us. We cannot take our cues for priority or passion from the world around us. But this is what they did. 
And God went on to say this, this is your God, Israel, that brought you out of the land. That's what they were saying about this calf, because they weren't recognizing God, they were recognizing something else, because there's something in all of us that wants to worship. There's something built into us that wants to be passionate, and they were misplacing it. And God said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are a stiff-necked people. People who have their worship messed up are stiff-necked people. Those of us who have our passions misplaced, we are stiff-necked people. That's what God said. I wonder what he would say about you and me. Are we stiff-necked? Are we pliable? Are we affectionate to God or these other things? He goes on in verse 10 says, now therefore, leave me alone, Moses. I'm about to pour my wrath down in a hot fashion against them, and I'm going to consume them, and I, I, but I'll make you a great nation. Now, I don't have time to read the rest of the verses, but if you go through the next several verses, Moses has to beg God to change his mind, and he does, because ultimately God is a God of grace and mercy. But he is burning because he's a jealous guy. He is burning with vengeance at this point because Moses has only been up there. He just brought them out of Egypt, just delivered, just brought them across the Red Sea, brought them out with millions of dollars and resources, and he's about to give them their own life. He brought you out of slavery, busted the power of slavery off of you, did it miraculously, and we forget. But thank God, when Mo Moses was able to mediate between the people and God for God to change his mind. And I'm glad that Jesus was the mediator in my life and he was the mediator in your life. So here, here's, the la here's the last point. I, I just worded it this way, that misplaced passion is dangerously destructive. It can be very dangerous and be very destructive. I gotta keep moving for a time here. But look what Paul said in Colossians. He said, therefore. Well, when we see the word therefore, we need to stop and what? Find out why, what it's there for. In the verses before, it, it's talking about how we're raised to new life. We're brought out of spiritual slavery. So Paul says, therefore, put to death your members which are on earth. And look what he says, put to death things like this. Fornication, uncleanness, evil desires, and look what it says, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. Paul's still talking about this stuff in the, in the region of Colossus. And he says, because of these things, God's wrath is coming on the sons of disobedience in which you yourself, you used to walk, you used to live in these things. What he's saying is covetousness is actually idolatry and it brought the wrath of God. Now, here's what I want you to know. God's not going to punish you for it because we're not in a season of God punishing, but sin punishes us, God doesn't. Did y'all get that? We're in a season of grace. God doesn't punish you, sin actually punishes you. And the sin of idolatry, misplacing our worship, misplacing our passion, it will actually punish you. It will actually, it's dangerous. It can bring destruction um, in, in, into our lives. And I, I would say it this way, that idolatry is the opposite. This is what the Greeks thought. Idolatry is the opposite of a giving lifestyle. It's a self-induced lifestyle. It's a covetous lifestyle. Um, actually, Ephesians says it this way, that idolatry keeps you from the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of heaven. doesn't keep you out of heaven, but it will keep you out of the kingdom of God. Well, you say, what do you mean, Pastor? And here's what I mean by that. It'll keep you from all the blessings that he's giving you these principles to secure in your life. Misplacing our worship will keep the things of the kingdom from flourishing in your life. 
Did y'all get that? Misplacing the principles of the kingdom of God keeps the kingdom and the blessings of the kingdom and the blessings of the promises and the power of the promises from flowing in our lives. So sometimes we need to stop, step back and say, God, is there some areas where I have misplaced my passion? Are there some areas that it could almost be like idolatry in my life? Because Paul listed them with these things. He said, you got to get these things out of your life. You got to delete these things from your life. You got to do a self-check and remove these things from your life. The Greeks believed that it was the worst sin of all because it opened the door to every sin. In other words, if prestige becomes an idol, you're gonna fall into self-ambition. If relationship becomes a wrong priority in your life, it's gonna go down the wrong of of doing relationship the wrong way. And and what it starts to do is take the focus off of God and makes other things precedence, gives it precedence gives other things value in our lives. And that's absolutely what idolatry is. It steals our passion. This should be reserved for God. Here's why I say it's destructive, because I believe these three things happen if our worship and our passion gets misplaced. One, idolatry will always disappoint. And in the pursuit, because remember, that's, that's what zealousness is. In the pursuit of other things, Here's what it's always gonna do in your life. And you know this to be true. It always disappoints. It always disappoints. A relationship will always disappoint. All those material things ultimately will disappoint. All of your ambition and all of your degrees, if it becomes the fulfillment and the source of your life, it's always, always, always gonna leave you and I, what? Disappointed. Now, in context and in priority in our life, those things are great. But when they get elevated and they start to consume our attention, our allegiance, our affection, guess what happens? It's going to disappoint you. Something that I believe God can never do. It's destructive because you'll, you'll be disappointed. Here's another reason why it's so destructive. Because idolatry will always end up dominating you. What you used to think was just a hobby starts to control you because it'll take your it, it will steal your allegiance it will steal your affection it will steal your attention and all of a sudden it will dominate your life instead of it just being something that you use to enjoy in your life are y'all with me it will and here's the other reason why it's so destructive not only will it disappoint and dominate it will deform you it will deform you Because you become what you become like what you worship. It will shape you, it will lead you astray. Here's what I mean by that. If you're continuing to worship God, and if He's the ultimate passion in your life, it won't deform you, it will continue to deliver you. And it will continue to form you into the image God made you. And it will continue to bring the kingdom into your life. And it will continue to shape you. And you won't be led astray. Like I said, I've known people that got so blessed when they started understanding the things of God. And I haven't seen them since. And here's what I know about their life. I'm not going to give you names. But here's what I know absolutely about their life. I know they're disappointed. Because the stress God wants to carry, now they have to lug it around. 
And here's what I know about their life. They are dominated by what they started worshiping. And it's deformed them. You will become like what you worship. Instead of becoming like him as we worship him. So God knew what he was talking about. He brought them out of Egypt. We were surrounded by these crazy idols. And then God said something other than being a jealous God. Another thing, he said, if you bow to it, you'll serve it. And he said, I'm a jealous God. And then he said something else. He said, I'll visit iniquity on the third and fourth generations. Here's what God was saying. And here's what I want you to get. And I, w- I want to say this um, respectfully, but I want to say it with some emphasis. If you don't deal with your idols, they get passed down. Your kids follow your patterns. They copy your values and they will duplicate your worship. If money is your passion, it'll be worse in their life. If a degree is your passion, it'll be worse in their life. You might want them to serve God and worship God like the image that's in your mind, but they're just gonna copy what you do. They're gonna worship like you worship. They're gonna prioritize like you do. And so this is what God said, I brought you and your families out of this slavery. And if you're a parent, that's humbling. And God said, You've gotta, I've gotta be the priority in your life. And it's important that I'm the passion in your life. And once again, God doesn't have a problem with your degree. Don't anybody walk out of here and say that. God doesn't have a problem with your money. He doesn't have a problem with your truck. He doesn't have a problem with your skiing. He doesn't have a problem with your golfing. I'm just saying, those things are okay. He doesn't have a problem with you succeeding and being blessed. He actually said, I put the Barak on your life, the ability to prosper. But when it starts to elevate, it'll steal your worship. And it'll become dangerous in your life. It will deform you. It will, in essence, lead you astray. And this is something that God warned about. And like I said, worshiping God alone is nothing destructive. It's actually a delight. It actually continues to deliver you. So let's stand to our feet. Anyone get something good out of that this morning? So the first three commandments are all about God. And we'll get to the third one next week. But what I'd like to do for a moment, we have to move on so I can get another crowd in here because they need this message worse than you do. But what if we just paused and closed our eyes and did a self-check? Because I'm going to assume that everyone in this place really loves God and you're grateful to God. And we want the things of God. We, We want the blessings of God. We want to honor God. But the Greeks knew something when they said, this is the worst one because it opens the door to everything else. And what if we just stopped? This isn't one of those times to be like, I tell you who needs to hear this message. I, I'm thinking right now, I'm going to call them and tell them to, to what? It's not about, it's about you and me saying, God, man, what have I elevated? Is it people? Is it stuff? Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Church Podcast. Visit us online at lifepointcentral.com.